Peace of Christ to, to you all. Uh, I hope uh, if you did come in and you got hot off the press, you also got a mint. And if uh, mom or dad say it's okay, then yeah, you can go ahead and uh, and eat it um, now. And it's uh, um, you know the the reason for the the mint um, is that you know mint flavors everything that it uh, gets by. If, if you want, you know, a little trick. I'm a I like tea. And so I'll even buy loose tea. And, and if you, you want that, that tea to have a little bit of a mint flavor, you just got to get one mint leaf and throw it in the bag with the whole bag of tea, and it'll slightly flavor all that's in the bag. And, and that is what we, as followers of Jesus, want to be flavored by Jesus wherever we go. So that we'll lead questionable lives lives that people will see what we say and see what we hear what we say and see what we do and ask us questions what why do you do that and that becomes opportunities for us simply to be witnesses for us to share why as we see in our our passage that we get to speak to the difference that God makes in our lives. Wow, God flavors our lives and that others may see and wonder aloud why. Our passage, um, first passage is in Matthew 5, starting with verse 13. It's right after, or it's at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, right after the part of the Sermon on the Mount called the, the Beatitudes, where Jesus talks about blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the peacemakers, you know, that that section, the beginning part of that particular sermon. Then, then he jumps right into this in chapter, in chapter 5 of Matthew, verse 13, found on page 786 in your pew Bible. Let's uh, pray together. Uh, gracious God, we thank you for your written word. We thank uh, you. It speaks to us of your, your truth and your good news. And we ask that you would open our our ears and open our very soul to hear from you and receive from you and so that we might be flavored by you. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. All right, Matthew uh, chapter 5 starting with verse 13. Hear the word of the Lord. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So, so we, as followers of Jesus, are to be salt and light. We're, 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 to, we're to flavor the world. We're to, we're to shine in, in the world around us so that others will see. And then they, in turn, will give glory to God. Now, how, how do they know to give glory to God unless they... Ask, why did you do that? 
Why, why are you so concerned about that? Why, why are you living in a way that's of love or joy or peace or, or patience? And then we're simply able to say, well, it's because of the, what Jesus has done in our lives. How He has flavored our lives. We, we lead those kind of questionable lives so that then we're ready to answer when folks are prompted by our lives to wonder why or, or how we did what we did. We, we need to be even conspicuous in following after the goodness of Jesus Leading, obviously, questionable lives. A great quote uh, from uh, Cardinal Suhard, who was a, a German Catholic, and um, he, he captured this sense of us being witnesses um, of Jesus. It's not that we're, we need to convince people of things. It's not that we, that we need to have arguments in, in place. We don't have to be, you know, uh, the, have theological positions from A to Z. It's simply that we're witnesses of what Jesus has done in our lives. What, a witness is somebody who shares what they've seen and what they've heard. And we are sharing that um, with others. Here's, uh, um, you got uh, his, his quote for us. Uh, to be a witness does not consist in engaging in propaganda, nor even in stirring people up, but in being a living mystery. And uh, do you know that, man? We are living mysteries. Now, there, there's a, Bad way to take that, and sometimes my wife says to me, I don't get you at all. Now that, that's, that's not the living mystery that we're to be. But it means to live in such a way that one's life would not make sense if God did not exist. That's the, the living mystery that we get to be, to live in a, such a way that our lives wouldn't make sense if God didn't exist. First Peter three fifteen um, says says it well, and we're going to unpack this a little bit later. But um, this is Peter telling the church: In your hearts, sanctify Christ as Lord. Always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands from you an accounting for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness. And reverence. You know, as we go forward, as we live our lives for Christ, then folks will ask. They will wonder, oh, why would you do that? What's the, give, give me an accounting for why you think that's the way to do. That's the way to, to live your life. How in the world do you have such a hope that still is alive within you? And then we have opportunity to share that with others. Ask Jim uh, Kelly to come share with us uh, uh, briefly um, uh, just a story in his own life at work um, where in a, a simple way, really, of being good news, uh, did he, um, was he asked some questions and was able to encounter um, with some folks that he was working with. Hi, I'm Jim Kelly. I work part-time as a courtesy clerk at the Northgate Kroger store. 
Um, some of you run into me there from time to time. 1 Peter 3.15 tells us, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for hope that you have. But do this with great gentleness and respect. A couple of weeks ago, I had an experience that illustrated the need to be ready to share my faith, even at work. I was asked to help a customer shop. I followed as he made his way around the store in an electric cart while I pushed a regular cart along with, for his groceries. Ordinarily, this might take 20 to 30 minutes, but he was doing a month's shopping and it took well over an hour. After shopping for a while, he started a conversation. First he asked my age. When I told him, he responded, responded with, you must have seen a lot in that time. <laughs> and by that he meant hard times in life. He was going through a, a low period. Then he asked me specifically, what do you do when things are bad? Who do you turn to? His next comment was that he once believed in God, but now he wasn't convinced. He said, a loving, caring God would come by and say hi. All I could offer for that, all, all I could offer for that, what gives me hope is that I believe in Jesus and that God has come down to say hi to us through Jesus. That didn't seem to really answer his question, but it seemed he might be looking for God, even though he declared he doesn't believe in him anymore. He began to tell me about the difficulties in his life. He was definitely in poor health, in addition to being grossly overweight. He'd had an accident at work several years ago and had been taking painkillers since then. He alluded to problems with his family and with his doctor. He indicated that he was sure they all hated him. And then he shocked me by saying, I'm going to kill myself. That flat-out statement left me fumbling for words because I've never had anyone say that to me. He wondered again why God doesn't stop by and say hi. After helping him through the checkout and to his truck, he said, see you next month. He told me that shopping with me that day was fate. I think God put us together. I'll be watching for him to come back and shop and hope I get the opportunity to assist him again. I can hope that something I said will make a difference. I told him I would pray for him, and I have. Was my witness a perfect response? Maybe not, but it made me stop and think about what there is in my own life that brings people to ask what makes me different. Thanks, Jim. <clears throat> Now, it uh, took a lot for Jim to come and share. That's not his favorite thing to come and be in front of others 
and have them looking at it. And I want to thank Fran, his wife, for helping me help Jim do that. And, and just in a, a simple way of coming alongside down the cereal aisle can help someone on one in the produce aisle say, I think I want to end my life to buy the checkout line, say, I'll see you next month. Um, what uh, simple ways that we get to be good news for the glory of God. Um, and in our workplace, in our home, in different conversations um, along the way. Now, I want to unpack a little more this passage in First, um, First Peter. I want us to, to look um, at the whole of this, this passage, First Peter chapter 3. And we'll start with verse um, 8. And uh, just make, I'll make some comments just as we read um, through this. Finally, all of you have unity of spirit, sympathy, love for one another, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or abuse for abuse, but on the contrary, repay with a blessing. Now, one thing that you have to recognize here, that we're, we're about to get to the part that we've already read, but this gives us the context. Peter is talking uh, to the church in the first century where they, they were not just asked a question in the produce aisle. They were brought before judges. They were brought before groups of people, and they were persecuted for following Jesus. I mean, people were abused for following Jesus. And so Peter is talking to the, and that's the context of what's going on there. So that's why he's saying, you know, don't repay evil for evil or abuse for abuse, but always return evil with a blessing. Always return abuse with a blessing. That's where where Dr. King uh, uh, taught so well. You don't respond to hate with hate. You respond to hate with love. And that's what the, the first century... So, so their context is, is much different um, you know, than ours. All right, so he goes on. It is for this that you were called, that you might inherit a blessing. And then he quotes a saying of their day. For those who desire life and desire to see good days, let them keep their tongues from evil and their lips from speaking deceit. Let them turn away from evil and do good. Let them seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who will harm you if you are eager to do what is good? But even if you do suffer for doing what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear, and do not be intimidated. So you see now the, the context of why, why Peter is talking to the church then and, why he's, and then it applies for us today, but we're, we're in a much different age. I mean, we, we don't get such direct persecution, such physical opposition to us as followers of Jesus, right? I mean, in the first century, they, they, Peter's talking about don't fear what they fear. Don't fear the raised sword. And in our day, he's saying don't fear what they fear. Don't fear the raised eyebrow. Yeah, because that, that's our world today, where, where we are, you know, we, we get intimidated by speaking of religious things in, in our world. I mean, I, the same way. There's times when I'm someplace, somebody asks me what I do for a living, and I sort of do a double clutch. 
And then, then sometimes it's funny when I tell people I'm a minister and then you sort of see them thinking in the back of their mind, what have I said over the last five minutes of our conversation? But, but there, I, I think that's a work of the evil one to bring that kind of intimidation. To stop us. And if nothing more, we just need to practice telling good news stories of how God is good to us. And how Jesus is good to us. So that we get over that intimidation and that fear. But but recognize in Peter's day, it was an intimidation and fear that was of huge proportion. And what Peter's telling the church then, which is good for us to hear today, even though it really doesn't apply for us, but it may apply for some of you. There may be some of you that God is calling to parts of the world where you could be killed for following Jesus. And worse things can happen. I mean, that's what Peter's telling his church then. He's saying, there's a whole lot worse that can happen than dying. Because you know Jesus. You'll see him face to face. The worst thing that could happen is that you would deny him. That you would be scared of the things that the world is scared by. You'd be intimidated by the things that are intimidate the world. And you will not be livers of good news. That's what he's telling them. I think sharing with us. That's, so that's why at the end there, the, the beginning of the passage we read, in your hearts sanctify Christ as Lord. In your hearts, in the, the decision-making parts of your body, sanctify, set apart, set, set Christ, Jesus Christ apart as the boss, as the Lord, as the, the leader of your life, the one whom you make every decision for. That's what it means. You set him now aside. Well, then the fears and intimidations of this world, they will fall. And then the rest of the passage that we just read. um, Always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands from you an accounting for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and reverence. Gives even more that sense of gentleness and reverence, uh, and it's because uh, it's because that what Peter knows is is and what he's teaching us is that we're not trying to again win an argument. We're not trying to 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 be strong. We're, we we are simply trying to share the good news so that others will hear that good news and repent and follow Jesus too. And we know it's the gentleness of God that leads to repentance. It's the reverence and respect that we have for one another that enables folks to hear. And so that's why in, in the first century and in the 21st century, you know, that we set apart Christ as Lord and we are ready to share the good news whenever, wherever, however we can share it. But notice from this, this passage as well, you'll, you'll see, and, and some of you have maybe even commented that when you got the mint, you're like, well, I don't like mint. It's not a pleasing aroma to me. Well, sorry, the illustration's lost on you. You know, stick, stick with salt and light then. But it's really important to recognize in, in Peter's day and in our day too that not everybody likes Jesus. You know, for all different kinds of reasons, people, they're not, they don't want to talk about Jesus. They don't want to hear about God. That's just going to happen. And that's not your fault. It's not your, your job to convince them. You're, again, we're witnesses. We're, it's God's job to bring about repentance 
to bring about conversion. Not, not, not ours. We're witnesses. We're sharing the story. It, it, we're, we are ready at every opportunity. That's why last week, you know, we gave you the list. Of how has Jesus been a good news? Well, that wasn't just a nice exercise. That's a, a thing for you to be thinking about. Yeah, what are the stories so that they are ready when the opportunity arises in the life of another that you can simply say, here's, here's what Jesus has done in my life. In, in, you know, as some of you know, I'm doing... Uh, uh, some doctoral uh, work, and uh, uh, one of the guys I'm reading is named Bryant Myers, who's done a lot of work with missionaries around the world. And, and one of the resources, he, he talks a lot about being ready to give an answer, um, and, and he talks about it on a global scope, in terms of mission workers around the world. And, and he, he talked about, a, um, in one case, it was a, a, a family that had moved to a little village in India, and there they were working. They'd been there for four years. And the only way that the village would let them come was if they t- said they would not share verbally about the good news of Jesus. And so they agreed. Okay? We will not speak about Jesus as part of our work here. So for four years they went and they worked among the poor. They cared for the village. They, they really tried to, to build up so that, you know, those folks that are living on you know, less than a dollar a day would have resource to be able to, to double their income, which would make all the difference in the world for them. And so they worked and worked tirelessly for them for their, their four years. And then at, at about four years, the village leaders came to them and said, you need to leave the village. You, you must leave the village. And they were like, you and your whole family. And they turned and said, well, why? What, what have we done? And I've got to read this to you. This is what he said. The response was, The way you live is disturbing to our people, causing them to ask questions about your God. So therefore, you have to leave. See, there, there are some people that they don't like the flavor of mint. Yeah, and so they left, um, having planted the seeds they can with the love of God in that situation. Now, some of you may say, well, you know, well, why do we have to even use words at all? You know, can't we just do the, the good work and won't that have such a powerful impact? And it's like, well, yeah, it, it can have a huge impact. But on the one is, well, it's pretty clear here, you're going to have to use words. To explain the reason for the hope that is within you. But uh, Dr. Myers goes on to talk about some situations where they didn't use words and it led to confusion. He talks about some mission workers in Vietnam. And they'd been working tirelessly to help build roads and to build up this dam again so that the people could use the, 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 the lake for a place to fish and, and for their livelihood. And, and it was a wondrous success. And so uh, another group came in that, that just came to, to survey what was going on and to just interview the people around. And they asked the, the Vietnamese, they, they said, um, you know, What's been happening here? And they said, oh, these Christians are wonderful. They've come in and built the roads and rebuilt uh, up the dam. And they said, oh, really? Why do you think they did that? And when they were asked why, they said, well, these Christians are earning merit for their next life. Which is a Buddhist concept. And they were a Buddhist village. So they just took what they saw without hearing the reason for the good news and just applied it according to their own 
system of understanding. It tells another story of a, a Muslim village in Mauritania that basically did the same thing, except for them, uh, there was, it was, uh, they, they said, well, they, yeah, these Christians are doing good work, but they're doing good work in order to earn a better place in paradise. Again, which is the Muslim concept. Now, they also interviewed some other folks who were um, more secular, and, and their, their response, the second most common response, uh, and this sort of sounds like an American response to me, um, well, there must be good news and there must be good money in the development work that they were doing because they, they, that's the only reason that they would do it. But with, without the opportunity to speak of the good news and the reason why, people just come up with their own answers according to their own systems instead of then us being able to share the good news and point to the glory of God. Our lives, then, are a wondrous, necessary part of sharing the good news, of being questionable lives, flavored by Jesus. And then with gentleness and respect, we share that with others. You know, the, the beginning of this series, I said, all right, first thing we need to be doing, we need to be regularly praying that we have the heart of God for the world. Unless we can continue to do that. You know, that, that God has a heart for the world. That God left the 99 in, in order to go after the one. Well, then we need that same heart in us. So we continue to be praying that way. That God, give us your heart for the world. And, and last week, you know, like I said earlier, the sheet saying, just how has Jesus been a good news? We just need to remember. How has Jesus been good news for us so that we are ready to share that with others when the opportunity Arises. And today, I would say our opportunities here are to notice what is God doing in our world? Where is God at work opposing what is evil? And, and let's jump in and serve with him. Many, many of you are doing that already. You're, you, you, you see what God is doing and you are serving with him. You are serving in bold ways so that the world will see so that you might have opportunity when the when it arises to share of the good news of what Jesus has meant to you. Last story is uh, one of a um, person that I met, um, a pastor in uh, um, uh, Syria. And uh, it's uh, Assis Aram. Assis is the word for reverend. Um, there and Assis Saram was living in his village in Syria. It was a Muslim village, and the, he got invited to speak with the director of the waterworks. It was a big thing, you know, who gets water and how do they get water and those kind of things. And so, and he wanted the, the director invited Assis in so that he could be a representative of the Christian um, voice, the Christian part of that village. And when Assis got there, he started talking with him and sharing with him um, about. Uh, the, the director started sharing about the water and his concerns. Well, and then Assis, he didn't just care about his part of the village. He, he, he kept just talking about the whole village and all the people of the village. And, the, the, and Assis told me, he said, you know, the director sort of got mad at me because he wanted me to be a voice and a representative for this particular political group, you know, the Christians in the village. And, and then Assis said to him, well, Jesus tells me that God sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. 
The, the, Jesus tells me that, that we're all made in the image of God. So God cares about the water and how it's distributed to all people. And so therefore, I must also. So the director of the waterworks, he closed his books and he looked at the cease and he said, can you tell me a little more about Jesus? They then met weekly for months just having a little Bible study to tell this director who Jesus is. And within a year and a half, the director and his family had quietly become followers of Jesus. Because Asis Aram simply was serving Jesus, was serving the way that Jesus wanted him to, to serve, was doing the work that Jesus would want him to do for all the people of the village. And the director saw it and wondered why and gave him the opportunity to answer. We, each one of us, in a sense, are, when we leave from here, we're like those missionaries. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're missionaries in our own little streets, in our own homes, in our schools, in our workplaces, wherever we are. But, but missionaries sent to do the good work that Jesus has called us to do, to, to serve the world like Jesus and to be ready, to, to be ready whenever we lead those questionable lives, be ready to answer the questions, to give glory to God for the work that he's done in us and through us. Amen.